Welcome to Probably Bothered, the podcast that cuts through online business myths so that you can redefine your version of success. Because I believe if you aren't a little bit bothered, you probably aren't paying attention. This week on Probably Bothered, we are talking about how quitting is a good thing. You heard me. It's a good thing. I am joined by Kenor Bahal, and she is a solo entrepreneur who specializes in innovation and creativity and the author of a book called I Quit, The Life-Affirming Joy of Giving Up. We had such an incredible conversation, and I learned so much from her. I'm not even going to give you a preview. We're just going to dive right in. I am sitting here with Kenor Bahal, and she, guys, I'm so excited for this conversation because she is an expert in different methodologies that really help bring out creativity and innovation in leaders and also an author of a book that tells you you should quit. How amazing is that? So, Knorr, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump into the conversation? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, God, where to begin? Um, so, I am a native Ohioan, but someone who was all too happy to leave Ohio. You too? Wait. Me too. We didn't talk what? about this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wait, where in Ohio are you from? Cincinnati. I'm from Lima. Two oh my gosh. Hours. Yeah. My, my roommate sophomore year was from Lima. <laughs> no way. That's what did you go to UC for college? I did. Oh my God. I, so I lived in Cincinnati for a few months after college and I lived right on the campus. I lived like off of MLK, um, Boulevard, um, at like some <sighs> apartments there. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Such a small world. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. That's wild. It's so funny. So anyway, yeah, I grew up in Ohio and then have been a a city person slash city snob ever since uh, life is taking me to New York City, to Chicago, to Washington, D.C. more than once, to Philadelphia, and now to Seattle where I live. And um, when it comes to my business, I'm like a turtle with its shell, like wherever I go, my business is. Uh, and I've loved, loved over the past eight years having that autonomy and that mobility I want to jump into the book because that's sure. definitely the thing that, <laughs> that caught my eye. Um, one of the things, and I've been having this conversation frequently over the past couple of weeks, one of the things as an entrepreneur that I internalized, I don't think it was ever said, uh, was that you have to be consistent and therefore that means you can't change your mind or you can't wow. quit. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear a little bit of your perspective on quitting and why it's a positive thing for you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I have so much, so many things are going to my mind right now. So first, like I totally feel what you just said when it comes to kind of like, you know, as an entrepreneur, I myself, when I started MindHatch, my company, I was like, I'm not going to write a marketing plan or I'm sorry, I'm not going to write a, a business plan because to mm-hmm. me, like a business plan is just like shackles you make for yourself that are, it's like looking into a crystal ball. It's like, it's not predictive, but what it can do to people is going to make it feel like this false sense of like, this is what I have to do, mm-hmm. but it's just a fabrication. Right. And so I think sometimes, sometimes for some people, a business plan can feel like marching orders. Right. When in fact, like every new piece of information you learn should 
make you make better, different decisions and might deviate from your business plan. You know, so I actually never wrote a business plan because I didn't think it was going to be all that useful for the amount of effort it would take. And and a couple of years later, I met this like professor of management and I told him this and he like hit the nail on the head. He was like, oh, you have a revelatory business model. And I was like, yes, like I'm going to like let the market reveal itself to me and be responsive and reactive to it. And it was a, it was a weird moment of feeling like, like so edified <laughs> that I was like, oh, I didn't just invent this thing. It actually is a thing, <laughs> you know, just that not a lot of people do. <laughs> and so, um, and to have like a professor of management actually kind of like thumbs up my instincts to not have a business plan, you know, but it felt really good. Um, and everything I just said, weirdly enough, does really connect back to my, my book in a certain sense, you know, so like the introduction to my book, of course, like talks about why I came to love quitting, why I came to really evolve from being a type A perfectionist, do the right thing when the right thing is being defined by other people, not you person into someone who really loved quitting, you know, and saw that as the path to success, a faster path to success. And, you know, part of the book does talk about like this idea that I mentioned earlier was like, you get new information in your life, therefore can make better decisions. And so it's like, well, just because you made this decision 10 years ago, it's really irrational to believe that that should be the same right decision for you right now because things change, you change, you get new information and you need to like respond and adapt to that new information that you've, you've been given or gotten, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think the reason why I am an entrepreneur and a reason why I happen to work in innovation and creativity is very much tied up with why I also love quitting. (laughs) You know, it's like really hard to like separate the two, you know, that the book is not like a quote unquote business book. The book is not about mind hatch, you know, it's a Mm -hmm. bit more about personal development, you know, and, um, than it is anything professional, you know, but I think there's a reason why all these things coexist in my head and in my lived experience. So one of the things I'm going to put on my, like, business school hat go back a few years yeah and one of the things that I think is so interesting is the the idea of like a sunk cost right in business school it's like if you've invested into this project and it becomes clear at some point that the project isn't working out then this like the cost is sunk you have to like ditch it and move on and like yeah but a lot of times people don't do that, right? Because you feel as if you put so much effort into this thing or so much money into this yeah. thing that you shouldn't just cut your losses. Yeah. The idea is the same with ideas. That was a terrible sentence, but you know where no, I'm going. I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> if you, it, when you get more knowledge and when you realize something isn't working or maybe something worked once, but it is no longer working, yeah. why don't we treat that as a sunk cost? Yeah. Yeah. I I love it. And then the sun cost fallacy comes up time and time again in the book as well, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like there's a story in the book of a woman who quit being a doctor. So you can imagine like she went through the training through the accumulation of debt. She became a doctor, like years and years of work, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like I am hard pressed to think of like a greater amount of sunk costs in a profession than becoming a doctor. Right. And she quit it. She quit it. Right. Right. And so, um, she let herself fall 
victim to the fallacy for a little bit. It took her a couple of years to actually quit, but she hasn't looked back. Like to her, like the trade-off was worth it, right? So sunk cost fallacy is like very much a human instinct, right? Of like, oh, I put so much work into this. I have to just keep putting more work in to make it work. You know, even though the Mm -hmm. information that you've already gotten from the work you put in is telling you, I'm not worth it, (laughs) you know, like cut your losses, you know? And so, um, so yeah, I think a a sunk cost fallacy, I think impacts people's businesses for sure, but also their lives for sure, you know, and it really gets in the way of us making bold decisions because we feel like we have to live life or pursue our business with like inertia. Right. And it can be scary to change. It can be scary to admit, oh, that didn't work. You know, despite me putting so much work into it, it didn't work. Right. But if we can reframe that in business and in life, and actually this is a lot of what I do in my innovation work, if we can reframe that experience as like, no, it didn't not work. It didn't fail. It's just, I got the information I needed to make a better decision. You know, like you still gained something from that, right? When you gained the ability and hopefully the confidence to choose a different path. Absolutely. And so that, that's kind of like my thoughts on some cost fallacy. I think it, it does people so much harm, you know, but I think we just need like a little tweak to how we view things like that. And not view the past as like an anchor, but view it as information that we're getting. Do you have any any approach that you use as a solo entrepreneur? Mm. Because I feel like it's one thing in a major corporation to have all of this data and have all of this analysis and people telling you, look at this report, it's clear the thing isn't working. Yeah. But when you're working by yourself, you don't necessarily have that same benefit. So how do you check yourself and make sure that you're not falling victim to this? That's a wonderful question. And here's where I'm going to say, like, it's do as I say, not as I do. Because <laughs> like, because I, because as a, as a solopreneur, like I, I've definitely felt this so many times in the past eight years. I, I feel like my first two years of running Mindhatch, I, the learning curve I, I don't know how to speak of learning curves correctly in a grammatical sense, but like, I, I feel like I learned 90% of what I needed to learn so quickly, like in the first two mm-hmm. years, you know, that final 10%, even eight years later, I'm still like, how do I sell? How do I market? I think like, I think that kind of piece of running a business is still way more of a mystery than I thought it would be. And, and one reason is because when you're a solopreneur, particularly, you know, I'm in a B2B field, you're not going to have like hundreds of data points in a given year, you know, Mm -hmm. to be like that worked, that didn't, I'm going to do more of that and less of that. Like you might have like, I don't know, 10 to 20 data points in a year. And sometimes it can feel like, Ooh, is that enough to really make a sound decision on? And, um, and so I grapple with that too. And I think you know, for better or worse, what it comes down to is a lot of gut instinct, you know, like what is feeling good uh, and what doesn't feel like ROI. You know, I just recently decided to stop putting together a monthly newsletter, you know, because I I put a lot of time and effort and resources into making it great, writing original pieces every month. For three years, I did the consistent email every month offering value 
And after three years, I was like, I have not gotten anything from it. You know, so I made the decision recently to just stop doing it. And um, I honestly could do more of that, I think. But uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it is gut, what feels good when it comes to mm-hmm. like feeding the beast that is your business, you know, <laughs> like what feels manageable, what feels from a budget perspective, like what's worth the ROI, right? Um, I also failed, like I, I thought like sponsoring things would be a really good like way to get the MyNesh name out there. I now, anytime someone reaches out to me to sponsor an event or sponsor a conference, I'm a hard no. And I tell them it's because I've done it before and I've never seen any ROI. So I'm, I'm slowly but surely like creating my own standards of like what I will do, what I won't do. But I know there's still a lot of experimentation, right? And um, yeah. so in addition to kind of gut instinct and experience, I also frankly like rely a lot on my community, you know, just like talking and learning from other especially, you know, women identifying business owners and solopreneurs, you know, um, I definitely place a lot of stock into like their experiences. And I think from that, you kind of like learn and get new hunches without needing to kind of like do it yourself, you know, uh, and learn the quote unquote hard way, you know, you can learn from others as well. Yeah. Can, can I give you a confession? This is confession time. Of course. (laughs) I'm here for that. Yeah. So you mentioned your newsletter and I email my newsletter maybe four times a year. Yeah. And I only do it when I'm so excited and like laughing at myself over what I have to say. Nice. Nice. <laughs> and that's, that's like my gut check is, does this feel fun to me? Because if it feels fun to me, it will feel fun to the reader. Yeah. Yeah. That was my original intention. When I start first started my attach, I was like, I don't want to, I, I only want to write or I only want to email when I have something of value to say, you know, mm-hmm. and that turned into being something very sporadic and inconsistent. And so then I spent three years kind of investing in consistency, right. To see if Mm -hmm. that was the, the, the missing thing. And turns out it wasn't. I think, I think my, my conclusion, if you can call it that is that, Oh, I'm a B2B service provider. Maybe a newsletter is not the best tactic for a B2B service, you know, like maybe that's the best for people who are B2C, you know, or, um, yeah. So anyway, I think that I think it's cool that you, you let the spirit move you when you want to send yeah. something. And I think that's also a great strategy, you know, cause it's again, mm-hmm. that gut of like, what makes me feel good about doing this, you know? <laughs> and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also know if I look back at the last two years of data that people message me on Instagram, people mm-hmm. are referred to me, but not a single person has ever said, I found you because of your newsletter. Exactly. Exactly. And I, that same, same thing happened for me too. I think I walked back my goal for the newsletter. I think initially mm-hmm. I was like, this needs to get me business. Right. And then I think along the way I was like, you know, this is about just reminding people I exist, you know, and my attach does very weird niche things that are like <sighs> not easy to explain in like one sentence or one mm-hmm. elevator pitch. So I, it stands to reason it would take like multiple touch points to really kind of inform and educate people what I do so that if an opportunity comes up, they like, remember, remember me, you know? And so, um, I, I think I've done that. <laughs> I think in three years of people yeah. getting my newsletters to the extent that they read them, like, I think that has 
happened. Um, but you know, it still wasn't really getting me business, you know? So, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm at this point right now where I'm just like, okay, I need to focus and just like lean into something that I plausibly know does work and just like Mm -hmm. really do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think if we go back to what led us to this conversation, Mm -hmm. which is the, the conversation about quitting, I also think what you were saying just now makes a lot of sense because it depends on the intention behind the action. Mm. And that means that there are multiple ways to quit, right? You could quit your newsletter altogether if we stay Mm. on the newsletter example, or you can quit having the goal of getting business, but have a new goal for that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And, and, you know, I wrote last month, like the you know, it's, it's not goodbye. It's see you elsewhere kind of was Mm -hmm. a subject line to my newsletter subscribers. And I was like, you know what, the stuff I send you every month, I'm sharing in more real time on social media. So just follow me on social media instead, you know? Um, but also I said, you know, next year, meaning this year, 2022, um, I am going to experiment with it just being a quarterly newsletter. Yeah. And I'm going to experiment with it being a much more like, this is marketing, this is selling, this is like bragging about what we've accomplished, you know, and less about like offering, I suppose, and just kind of see how that different tactic works or if it doesn't, you know? And so, um, so we'll see how it goes. I have, you know, three months before I need to send the first one out. And, uh, so I have three months to figure out what I want that to look (laughs) like, but, but yeah, it's kind of like the next level of experimentation of like, let's try it quarterly and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. But it speaks to what you do as a business owner, right? Because instead of like, eh, I'm giving up, I'm just not doing this all together. You use that innovation side of your brain mm-hmm. and you figure out instead of doing it in this way, how can I do it in that way? Yeah. And so I know, I'm sure that you guide a lot of your clients in a thought process like mm-hmm. this. So my question as a solo entrepreneur, and of course we always have to put on the hat of, and you know, the hat well, we don't have a lot of time. We don't often take the time that we probably want to, or I hate to put a should out there, but but, but should take to reflect and know what's working and and what we want to change and what we want to do differently. So how do you continue to innovate and experiment in your business when time is of the essence? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, I think it's like my, my experience, I can only speak personally has been, it's, it's less about, time available. And I think for me, it's been more about where to place my resources, which includes time, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, everything's up to you. Everything's on your shoulders. And so it's like, there's, I always say that it's like, okay, when you run your own business, you're never not working, right? Like I would not call myself a workaholic. Like I strive for like a good balance in life. Mm -hmm. But when you run your own business, your brain is never not thinking about your business. You know, like even if I'm on vacation or I'm like, Oh, when I get home, I should do that. You know, like your, your brain is your business, you know, (laughs) I think especially for me as a B2B service provider. And so you're never not working. So I think it's, it's more about just like, Oh, there's so many places where I could be allocating my time at any given point in a day. There's time for it all, but I often struggle with like, what do I do first? Like, what is the priority? You know, it's, I think I, I kind of like, uh, have a little bit of a scattered focus in that way because everything needs to be done, you know? And so, um, someone once in my old company said that like, and maybe, maybe this is like cliche. I don't know if this is like 
owned by them or not, but but they said, um, (laughs) they said, if, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, that like cut me to the bone. I was like, yeah, I think it's like, I also like struggle because I am a fast worker. Mm -hmm. So I know that I can get it all done. And sometimes that leads to me procrastinating because I know I can get, I can just, when the spirit moves me, like it moves you to do your newsletter. Yeah. I know when the spirit moves me to like sit down and focus, everything takes like way less time than I thought it would. (laughs) And then then I'm like, why did I wait? Why didn't I do that earlier? (laughs) But, um, (laughs) so a bit of my cycle, I think like, it's a good thing that I work fast, but I think sometimes I let myself off the hook because I know I can get it done. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like we all experience that in some way or another, right? Which honestly, in my business, that is why as a website designer, I started working in VIP days because first of all, it helped me control my calendar a little bit more when I still had my nine to five. But also if you promise someone one day, you can't procrastinate. You yes. have one day to do that work. <laughs> exactly. Well, tell me more about VIP days. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, so basically you would do all of the prep work kind of ahead of time. So they would write their copy, get me pictures, et cetera. And then on that day, I would put together their entire website. Oh, nice. Yeah. You know, what you're saying really speaks to like another natural instinct I've known about myself since I was like a teenager as I mm-hmm. am very externally motivated. Like, mm, interesting. Like if I, if someone is needs something for me to do their job, or if there's like a deadline, or I, I'm very motivated by serving other people, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I don't have a structure or a deadline or anything like that, I am a slug. <laughs> like, I'm just a slug, you know. So, so yeah, I definitely have. I I need a lot of like external expectation to like motivate me, you know, and um. Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably good, like working in client services, you know, because people are depending on you, they're relying on you. And um mm-hmm. but yeah, man, in those weeks when I don't have anything, it's like I am a Netflix binge queen uh in those <laughs> weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the mindset behind that. Mm. Do you ever feel guilty in those weeks where things are slower to be a Netflix binge queen? Oh, Wow. Guilt is a really strong word. I, I don't know if I feel guilt, but I I am someone who likes to feel like they are achieving and accomplishing something, you know, back to mindset. So when I was in college, Mm -hmm. I'd write my daily to-do list Mm -hmm. and on my to-do list would be shower because in my mind, then you could cross it off. <laughs> if nothing else got done, I could cross off shower and just get that like great feeling of crossing something off the list, you know? So nice. I think I don't feel like, <laughs> guilt, but I, I get like kind of itchy or I'm like, Oh man, I haven't really like, I mean, even like emptying the dishwasher or doing laundry or like there, there's, I I'm open to even those smaller accomplishments that like, you know, make mm-hmm. me feel good, you know? And um, and so I, I, I do, I will, so I don't feel guilt, but I do feel this like itchiness of like, Ooh, I haven't like created something or like achieved something, however small it might be, you know? So not guilt. Mm-hmm. Cause I think also in those moments, I'm like, God, we live in a capitalist society and everything is go, go, go. And I have to keep reminding myself, Knorr, you still have value in the world, even if you're not like making money every second of every day, you know? And mm-hmm. so 
I do try to like walk back thoughts of like, I'm a slug, <laughs> you know, into like, <laughs> it's like, no, you're relaxing and that's okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Speaking of living in a capitalist society and, mm-hmm. and the expectations that surround businesses and people in this society, we were talking before pressing record, which is the cardinal sin, I feel like, of podcasting, <laughs> but we did it, uh, about scaling businesses. And mm. you were telling me that that is one of the things that the rhetoric around scaling businesses is something that you'd like to see change. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Like I, I remember God, like, like day one of me starting Mindhatch, I, I think it probably first appeared when I was like opening my business checking account, you know, and like mm-hmm. the banker was like, Oh yeah. And as you grow and as you scale, we have da, 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 da here that we can help you with. And I was like, Whoa, dude, what? I, I'm just trying to get my first client right now. I'm like, thinking <laughs> about scaling, you know, I just want to pay my rent to put food on the table, you know, like that's mm-hmm. my standard. Um, and so like the, the, the language around like scaling implicit in that is like, what you have now is not valuable or what you have now is not acceptable, you know? And like, you must want something more. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I never really was bought into that, you know, because I think even before I started Mindtouch when I was like in corporate consulting and I was also very passionate about social entrepreneurship and social innovation. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes read a lot about like shareholders and it's like, you know, like, I see like large corporations. It's like, Oh, if you're not growing, you're dying. And I'm like that, that's dumb. That's just dumb. (laughs) You know, it's like, like to me kind of sustainability is great. You know, like, um, as a business owner to be able to turn a profit, pay your people, pay benefits, put something of value out into the world. What is so wrong with that? Like, why do you have to like, feel this constant need to grow, 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 grow. Like, why is that a measure, if not the only measure often of success, you know? And so I already had like a healthy skepticism of that. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I'm not going to have investors, you know, I'm not going to be working for anyone's revenue goals beyond my own, you know? And so this idea of scaling, I was like, I don't even know what that looks like yet. Or if I want it, you know, because I, one reason I decided to be an entrepreneur and work for myself was to rid my life of bureaucracy, you know, and, and, um, and I often say, it's like, I don't want to be an instrument of the oppression. Like, I don't want to create yet another bureaucracy in the world when I was trying to get away from bureaucracy, you know? And so and, and I, that, that speaks to the assumption that to scale, you need to have employees and staff and people, right? And maybe that is a true assumption. I don't know as yet. Um, but they're often twinned together. They're often spoken of in the same breath. It's like to scale is to have employees and you are the CEO and not actually doing the work, you know? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I love doing the work, you know? Like, um that is the ends that justify the means of running a business for me is I get to do the work that I love, you know? And so, um, so I've never had as a goal, this idea of scaling and growing, you know, beyond revenue. Right. So yes, I I was always a little like, Ooh, I don't know if I want that. And, you know, even eight years later, I'm still, I don't know if I want that, you know? And, 
I think at the at the same time, I'm remembering that someone I spoke to had a very like binary view of businesses. It's like either you're a startup and you have investors or you're what they called a lifestyle business. Ooh, and that pissed me off. I was like, because to me, the idea of a lifestyle business, I was like, oh, I was like, I like, I'm not just some trust fund baby who's like opening a jewelry store because it'd be fun to have on the weekends. You know, it's like, like, no, like my <laughs> business is like more serious to me than that. You know, it's not like for fun. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, and so I really bristled at that term lifestyle business as like the only other choice if you're not going to be investor led and a startup and like, you know, grow, 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 grow is a scalable, you know? And so, um, so I feel like there's gotta be like a middle path, you know, where it's like, yes, this is a serious business. This is not only about me paying rent. It is about wanting to create something bigger than myself, you know, um, that delivers value. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have that skepticism of if scaling is, as important a measure of success for businesses as we think it is. Are you tired of ugly email marketing solutions? I totally get it. Before finding Flowdesk, I tried three or four different solutions and was never happy with how my emails looked. I spent all this time perfecting my offer and I wasn't about to send an email out about it that I wasn't 100% proud of. Now that I use Flowdesk, I am so proud to send that email. If you want to know more about it and see how easy it is to use, grab the link in the show notes and start your account. My experience with this Mm -hmm. is I started, I mentioned, I started my business as a side hustle. Yeah. And probably how you feel about lifestyle business is how I feel about the word side hustle. Oh yeah. Because (laughs) I, I don't know. I just, it just makes me cringe. And if somebody here is listening and they have a side hustle and they love the word, by all means, do you keep, keep using it. But for me, I just felt like it put my, it said like my business was on this side Mm. and that's not how I viewed it. That's not where my intentions were. And that wasn't the level at which I wanted to put my effort into my business. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I noticed this rhetoric of Well, if you started a side hustle, your goal must be to go full-time in your business because that's that's the side hustle version of scaling, That's the only way to know it's successful is if you then do it full-time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And at the time, I had no intention of doing that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to leave my nine-to-five. I loved my nine-to-five. And I was just so confused that my business would only be seen as legitimate if... I stopped doing something I liked doing just to prove that I could. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's such a terrible, like false binary. It has to be either or, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, if you love something and the energy for it, you can have both. Exactly. And I think this goes around to the conversation that I'm really passionate about, about uh, defining what success looks like to you. Mm-hmm. And so for me at the time, I would have been successful if sorry, I'm I'm holding my crystals for all oh. you guys who, who can't, can't see me on the camera. Um, it's supposed to give me like peace of mind. I think is yeah. And I'm holding my coffee is. mug, which is my my version of a crystal. Uh, there healing, you go. Healing powers. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Um, 
Gosh, it, it, okay, we're recording this at four o'clock. Yeah. Everyone, well, I, my don't, four I don't think that so crystal is working. It, it maybe okay. it's working too much. It's maybe too it's loud. clearing all of the thoughts. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Oh my goodness. But anyway, the point is my, my goal at the time was to start a business and prove to myself that I knew how to start a business. Ah, yeah. Right. Like that was the only intention that I had because I was in a privileged position where I had a job paying my bills. I didn't need theoretically more money. I had money to cover my expenses, which to me is the definition of not needing more money. (laughs) Um, Maybe I wanted it, but, but I didn't need it. But the the only intention at that point in time was, can I do this? And can I learn all of the factors that go into doing this thing? Mm-hmm. And by all in, intents and purposes, I am successful because yeah. I have a business and I learned how to start a business, yeah. right? And so I just think that we do ourselves a disservice of like, if the goal is always moving, then how do you ever feel as if you have hit that goal or yeah. attained that thing. That's so true. I mean, everyone hates like in every area of life, work included, when they say the goalposts keep shifting, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. why would you? Would you, you have complete control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's one thing to like, if that is your goal, right? Sure. Then, then yeah, then you have like a roadmap and a path and you hope we know what those gateposts are you want to meet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think back to like why, why I started my attach, you know, it's because I wanted to, I, I wanted to have autonomy. I wanted to be treated like an adult, which I don't think most workplaces treat employees like they're adults. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be a thousand miles away from office politics. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to be a thousand miles away from, the kind of bureaucracy that gets in the way of doing good work. I wanted to work more efficiently than I think office bureaucracies allow you to. And yeah, and I, I honestly think the big experiment was, oh, I wonder if I can work for myself and still financially support myself. And eight years later, I guess I've proven that <laughs> that experiment was successful, yeah. right? Um, and so now I do find myself wondering, okay, what's beyond that? You know, like Mm -hmm. what, what is the next thing I'd like to prove to myself with my business? And so that's kind of where I am right now, where it's like, okay, I feel pretty confident that if I don't want to, I don't need to go in house again anywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I might want to in the future, who knows? Um, sure. But I don't have to. So now it's kind of like, okay, what, what is the next, the next thing for me that's going to like continue to motivate me, you know, to, to do this. Like I've proven what I set out to prove and What's the next thing I can prove to myself? Do you have an answer to that question? No, I'm curious. You know, it's it's pretty simple, man. It's just, it's capitalism. It's like, oh, I wonder if I can like double my revenue. You know, what would that look like? You know, (laughs) so it's like, um, um, that's the other thing about being like a business owner. And like, I think early on, early, I think maybe my first three years of having mind hatch, I started to like think to myself, it's like, ooh. I think about money a lot, you know, and it was like, despite us living in an obscenely capitalist society, money has a lot of stigma around it, you know? And, but then I was, but then I think to myself, like you run a business, of course, money is important. You know, like that is the way you're going to know that your business is successful. Mm -hmm. So I kind of had to like forgive myself from like, you know, (laughs) 
being like thinking about money as often as I was, you know, it's like, well, yeah, you kind of have to when you run a business. So yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, of course we're, and this isn't to say that money should be 100% taken out of the equation. Of course, there's a reality that that's how you put food on your table and you pay your rent Mm -hmm. and, and all of those things. But also it's like money is, it's an obvious indicator, yes. which makes it an easy thing to measure and create goals around. It's the same thing with like social media and number of followers. It might not, mm. it might be a vanity metric. And maybe at some point you can consider money a vanity metric yeah. too. That's a really interesting conversation. That's cool. <laughs> I like that phrase vanity metric. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, obviously at some point it's not when it's doing mm. the things that you need it to do, but at some point maybe it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't want to go down that path. That was just me like, Wah. um, but the point is things that are easy to quantify and measure will always be the easiest things to yes. set goals around and to measure success by, but being able to take a step back and say, well, what are all of the other things? Like right now in my business, one of my goals is to become really amazing at editing video. Ah. And that's because of, you know, a lot of my, the ways I get clients center on social media and video is really important on social media Mm. right now. So yeah, maybe eventually the end goal is if I, you know, am great at editing video, more people will see it and then they will reach out and want my services. Mm. But that's not the way that I'm approaching the goal. The way I'm approaching is when do I feel really comfortable and really confident and know like, I just edited this and man, that looks amazing. And I want to keep watching it over and over and over again, because I think it's just like the most incredible video I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. And it makes me want to talk about like, or ask you about like, um, investing in yourself, like when you're a solopreneur, Mm -hmm. you know, cause I, I came from like big four management consulting. And one thing that I loved about my years there was just like, the investment in me professionally, you know, it's all mm-hmm. like the learning and the development and the training, you know, I like, I ate it up, you know, and, and then, you know, to kind of like go into the wilderness of being an entrepreneur, like you're responsible for your own development and skills and, you know, that sort of thing. And I did have this, like, um, this habit of I'd make like one big investment in myself a year, you know, like, like one time I went mm-hmm. into this like four day design thinking training and like one year I decided to like, uh, get a scrum master certification because I yeah. had a hunch that it was related to the work that I did prove my hunch. Um, you <laughs> know, so I, I kind of do, do things like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so is it, is like you getting really good at video? Like, is that something, how have you, how have you done that? Have you like taking classes or are you just doing trial and error? Like, So this is my thing. One of the mistakes I made in my business that I freely admit now, so hopefully other people, and maybe it's not a mistake. That's not the right word. One of the traps that I fell into was constantly buying courses. Oh, And it's because like, I love to learn. Like I, I have two master's degrees. Like, and when I got out of grad school, I was like, Oh no, it just stopped. <laughs> yeah. And I've always, my background is in nonprofit and in smaller companies. So I didn't have the same experience that you had at your nine to five. Oh yeah. So well, it was my, on my, me. My first nine to five was a nonprofit and there was like okay. no professional development. Yeah. Whatsoever. yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah. so it was, it was on me to figure out, obviously to figure out my business, obviously I wasn't expecting my nine to five to, to fund that, but in general, just like 
continuing professional education, it wasn't really something that was supported. So I bought a lot of courses, mm. a lot of them. And I, and I actually do them. I'm one nice. of those people, if I invest, I'm going to go through it and I'm going to do all the action steps. But at a certain point I realized, okay, I got, I've got to stop. I have to trust that I know enough. And I also have to trust that if I want to know something badly enough, I will invest the time it takes to learn it, which you could say you're doing with courses. But to me, a course is a shortcut in the sense that somebody else has invested the hundreds of hours it takes to compile into this like two hour long course, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's so much more knowledge that goes in and they're giving you the highlights and the benefit of all of that time that they synthesized all of that information. Mm -hmm. So now for me, I'm like, if I want to know it bad enough, I'm going to take the time to do the research and synthesize all of the information. And if I'm not willing to do that, either I didn't want to learn it, or maybe the flip side is I have a deadline and I need to learn it faster than the time that I have allowed. And that's fine too. Got it. Um, So all of that to say is I think whatever you need to learn, you can learn on YouTube. Oh, nice. I really do. So a lot of YouTube, a lot of trial and error, because that's, this is the other thing I've learned in my MBA is there's some ratio. And I, I tried to quote it and I forget it now, but it it was shocking. Like 80% of continuing education happens on the job. And only like 20% is what we classify as like classroom learning. Yeah. That's probably not the right ratios, but it was skewed really, really far to like on the job experience. So for me, every time I create a video, every time I try something new or I look up really quick, how to do this one little thing that's on the job learning. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. That was a long answer to a short question, but Uh, that's, I, that's a good balance. 80, 20 again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah. (laughs) yeah. If you, if you are, um, participating in Becca's guide to making up statistics, then it's 80-20, (laughs) but it was something skewed like that. I promise. Yeah. I feel like often when I like pluck out some information from my brain, I always want to like be like, and maybe this has been debunked since I read it, you know, like don't quote me, but this used to be conventional wisdom. Maybe it no longer is. (laughs) So I felt the need to do that a lot recently. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find it really fast because I'm really <laughs> curious. I'll find it later and I'll send yeah, it to you after cool. this. <laughs> All right. I feel like we've covered a ton. Some really great things. Uh, first of all, I'm also going to go look up a revelatory business plan after this <laughs> <Okay>. because <laughs> I am not familiar with that. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but we, we spanned from quitting and different ways to quit, which I think is also a really interesting conversation, but also figuring out where to place your resources and creating a sustainable business over business that scales just because society said it should scale. Yeah. So is there anything else that you wanted to cover in our conversation today? No, this is wonderful. I love wide ranging fluid conversations. So thank you for, for giving that to me. This is super fun. Thank you. Of course. And then I will make sure, of course, that your website and your book and social and all of that is linked in the show notes. Um, Do you have a freebie or anything in particular that you want to point anyone toward? Oh, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a couple of freebies on the Mindhatch website. Um, you can get, uh, our guide to staying creative while working remotely. You can get a free uh, PDF download for that. Um, you can also get a free version of our improv card game called Five Things. Uh, that's available at Mindhatch LLC as well. 
And then for the book, um, it's not a freebie, but if you go to iquitbook.com, um, you can not only like learn more about the book, you know, and the stories within it about quitting, but you can also get the I Quit Toolkit um, that I put together. And one of the fun things, it, the last part of the toolkit is a to quit list as opposed to a to-do list. I love it. Yeah. So I think especially in the new year, uh, it might be very beneficial to people who are trying to set intentions for the new year. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes uh, that can be about removing things from your life as opposed to adding, adding, adding more on. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this and I know the listeners will too. So I just appreciate you and your time. Same. Thank you so much. This is really fun. Honestly, before speaking with Kenor, I had not even thought about this idea of scaling. And no matter what style of business you're in, whether the expectation is to have investors and gain employees, or the expectation is to go from a uh, side hustle to a full-time thing, there's always this expectation of scaling. I'm going to take some time and chew this conversation over and probably talk about it more often because why is what we're doing right now not good enough? That's almost how it feels, isn't it? When you when you get down to it, if the expectation is to always do more or do better, then it must be saying what's happening now isn't enough. So... I'm really curious, like always, when you guys message me after these conversations, it just makes my week. So please message me and let me know what your thoughts are on the expectation of scaling in business. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. As always, if you resonated with this conversation, if you would like to pass it along to a friend, I would be endlessly grateful. And if you want to subscribe or leave a review as well, that would make my day. It would make my week if we're being honest. Until next week, this was probably bothered.